This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to another exciting installment of 360Biz. My name is Deb Homafodi, right here on Cliff Central. It is a beautiful Wednesday uh, afternoon. Uh, definitely, you know, this is a show that brings you um, all things business. I'm actually excited about today's show um, that I've got gentlemen um, in studio um, that are good at their craft, that are good actually at, at what I do. Uh, definitely, I'm not alone in studio. Uh, I'm with them. Unfortunately, my boy Bulelani Balabala couldn't be in studio with me today. You know, I always say business people don't become late. However, they become delayed. And it's definitely this is a show that brings you all things best, um, business. If you want to join in on the discussion, you can always join in our social media it's at cliffcentral.com. Um, on Twitter, it's at cliffcentral.com. Um, on Facebook, as well, we've got the Cliff Central page. If you want to follow me, it's at Debohoma40. Uh, on Twitter, it's Debhoma40 as well. On Facebook, uh, definitely. Today we're talking artificial intelligence. Um, as you'd know that artificial intelligence, it's definitely uh, an industry that is taking over many industries um, right now by storm. I mean, across different um, levels, across different uh, you know platforms and world. Obviously, first world countries, they're one of the places. Um, that definitely has taken over um, artificial um, intelligence. I mean, it's something that is definitely um, growing on and that is definitely taking up. I know that um, I've had an opportunity to actually as well attend an event where this discussion uh, was actually discussed, but that is was around uh, the legal services globally. Um, and, you know, in South Africa, we, there's a lot of evolving and the taking shape of the so forth, uh, the so-called fourth industrial revolution technology um, that is really disturbing and disrupting uh, industries and businesses that need to be living up to that are businesses that definitely need to adapt uh, to change. You know that for Israel that the eight months of last year I've spent it, especially uh, traveling, I mean, within the UK and the US uh, space, I got exposed, I mean, to some of this uh, revolution that is actually taking place. That's why today I've brought in a guest all the way uh, from the UK, Mr. Daniel Suskin. I mean, who in him and his father, Richard, um, they've actually wrote a book called The Future uh, of the Profession Predicted. Um, I mean, they predicted the decline that is taking place today. I mean, within the traditional professional uh, profession, I mean, including legal profession, including accountancy and very other professions that they've covered um, actually in the book. And they've taken place in the prediction, talking about, I mean, some of the systems uh, that will be replacing their traditional way of definitely talking things. But obviously, I'm no expert um, in this book. Maybe let me take this opportunity to actually welcome Daniel to studio and let him be the one that tell us more about who he is and the book that he wrote. Uh, Daniel, do you want to say hi to our listeners? Tell us who you are Hello. and what is it that you do. Hello, great pleasure to be with you today. Uh, as, as you said, I'm uh, the co-author of a book called The Future of the Professions. And, and what we do in the book is look how technology is affecting the work of professionals, of doctors and teachers and lawyers and accountants and architects and journalists and consultants. And and what we find very broadly, what the conclusion of our book is, is that we see two futures for the professions. The first one is what we say we, we feel is reassuringly familiar. You know, it's just a more efficient version of what we have today. And here, professionals of all different types use technology, but essentially just to make their lives a bit easier, to so streamline and optimize the traditional ways in which they've worked. 
And as your listeners look around, there's lots of examples of this. It's doctors talking to patients via Skype. It's architects using computer-assisted design software to design bigger, more complicated buildings. It's perhaps a teacher who uses online material in the classrooms. So that's the first future. And as I said, I think it's a reassuringly familiar one. It's a comfortable one. But there's then a second future. And here, technology doesn't just streamline and optimize the traditional ways in which professionals have worked, but it actively displaces professionals from their work. What we call in the book increasingly capable systems and machines, either operating alone or just designed and operated by people that look quite unlike traditional professionals. They gradually take on more and more of the tasks that we associate with traditional professionals. And, and I think for now, we'll see these two futures developing in parallel, but in the long run, we'll see that second future dominating, that through technology, we're going to find new and better ways of solving the sorts of problems that traditionally only a very particular type of professional has solved, only a lawyer or a doctor or an accountant or a teacher. And we think, we argue that this will lead to the dismantling of those traditional professions. And, and that really is where the work that we did and, and, our, and our thinking led us. Mm. But now, I mean, maybe uh, you, you, you've, you've touched on some very uh, critical and, and I, th- I think interesting, um, you know, things that you've covered in the book. But maybe let's come to the beginning. Yeah. I mean, Richard, uh, I mean, Daniel, you hardly hear somebody write a book with their father. Yes. I mean, what were you guys sitting bored somewhere yeah. and you just decided, you know what, do we, let, let's write a book. Yeah. Um, so my, my dad, his career, he spent the last few decades trying to understand how technology affects the legal profession, how it affects lawyers. Okay. Uh, and, and what happened was I was working in the British government back in 2010. I was working in the prime minister's office mm-hmm. uh, on lots of different policy areas. But the point was I had a good overview of lots of different professions. I was working with people in the tax world, in the education world, in the world of healthcare and so on. And, and it was clear that significant change was in the air and that these professions, um, although they were quite different, actually appeared to face a common set of challenges. And this is what my dad was finding as well, that people were approaching him who weren't lawyers and were saying, look, this is very interesting, but it applies to us as well. I'm, a, I'm a, an accountant and, and what you're saying resonates. I'm a, I'm a doctor and, and it's true for me as well. So we had the idea of joining forces uh, to look at the professions more generally. Uh, the great... The great mistake, though, of course, is to think that having two people, particularly a father and a son, writing a book means it takes half as long. It doesn't. It takes twice as long. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a better book for it. And it's, it's in, in the book, we, we fought, we argued, we debated uh, over every point. So in the end, we actually agree on everything. Uh, but it was, a, uh, it, it was a very, I think, productive partnership. Oh, okay. So and how, how is the market receiving the book, though? Uh, very well. Uh, it's interesting. In 2010, when we first began, uh, there was uh, kind of thinly veiled skepticism about the project. You know, people weren't as interested as they are in technology today. Mm-hmm. And I think particularly in the last year or two, we've seen changes in what or kind of progress in what technology is capable of doing that have made people sit up quite straight and take the ideas in our book very seriously yeah so now i mean with technology changing has actually worked to your advantage because now i mean you kind of uh, now be in a position to now put more emphasis on some of the things and the predictions that you've made mm. i mean the, the book what what we were arguing what we were trying to set out was a direction of travel we were trying to describe how the worlds of doctors and nurses and teachers and accountants were changing and mm-hmm. and in a sense the last few years have been vindication for us because they are you know, one of the frustrations in writing a book is that 
very quickly the examples and the cases that you use become outdated mm-hmm. uh, and you know if we were to rewrite the book we would have so much uh, exciting material from the last few months uh, for the last few years to add into it so it's been it's been vindication i think for the for the argument that we developed Mm, no, definitely. Um, and we're not alone in studio. We've got Mr. Dean Shivers, uh, who's the director for, for legal, um, at Deloitte, who's also joining us. Um, Mr. Shivers, do you want to say hi to our listeners? Tell us who you are and what is it that you do? Morning. Pleasure to be with everybody. I, um, I'm a partner at Deloitte now. I look after the Deloitte legal business across Africa. Oh, okay. So I didn't know uh, Deloitte was, was a legal firm. We know it as a consulting firm. <laughs> So a common problem. Uh, so, so Deloitte is a professional services firm um, focused on many areas. Uh, we started to build the legal business globally about uh, about about 15 years ago with mm-hmm. uh, with a real impetus over the last 10 years. Um, it's an interesting profession, a profession that hasn't been consolidated. There are no big players globally, um, and that's our goal to build. So, uh, so we currently have presence in uh, 78 countries, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's our goal to continue to build that. Oh, so you you guys have strategically positioned yourself. We have strategically positioned ourselves. I mean, I think that uh, I think uh, I think we buy in very much to the theories that uh, that uh, Daniel and his father have come up with, and we we believe that is the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and some of that, especially as it relates to to data and technology, is going to be a challenge for traditional lawyers. And I think the. Uh, the benefit we have is that we have those skill sets within the firm, um, and for us, it's about how we leverage, leverage those globally to to deliver better value. Mm. So now, Dean, tell me. I mean, how did you bec- how did you start? Uh, how how did you become a lawyer? Did you start by becoming a traditional lawyer, working at the cards, or from the onset you went on to corporate to actually practice law? So, so I, I started as a traditional lawyer in a traditional law firm. Um, joined Deloitte's 17, 18 years ago as they started up the legal practice, and I was. I was drawn to the fact that they wanted to do something different. Um, okay. When we recruit people, our number one question is, do you buy into that different future? Mm. Um, and if they don't, then we're not the place for them. So um, so I've been intrigued by where the profession's going. I don't see that that the future is something to be scared of. I think it's something to be leveraged. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the excitement about where that's going as a profession is uh, is what keeps me there. Mm. So now tell me, I mean, now uh, obviously you've been um, with Deloitte for many or for all of these years, and obviously you've seen a lot of trends come in and out. So obviously, I mean, one of the things that we touch base or, I mean, on with um, with Daniel um, is that obviously it's across um, different uh, professionals um, that they've written and argued in, in their book. So what are some of the changes that you've seen take place in the legal fraternity? So I think uh, I think probably um, probably. Two of the main changes we've seen is one just the just the enormity and scale of of the regulatory burden that's placed on on companies these days, and it continues to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to solve for that challenge manually, as we've done historically, doesn't work. Okay. Um, so we've seen how the use of technology and uh, and more recently the use of of data analytics really helps um, deal with massive sets of challenges and massive sets of data. Mm-hmm. So I think that's been the one change. Um, and I think, and I think the other change has been around the fact that um, that traditionally a lawyer was a all-knowing, wise person, mm-hmm. and that these days to give a genuinely all-encompassing legal service, you need various skill sets. You need technology people and analysts and org design people and a variety of other skill sets to to really provide an all-encompassing solution. Mm. So then now, I mean, um, is it something that that now you felt? Now I want I want to try to actually get to the point where. You as a company decided to say you want to adapt and move with the trends. 
Um, cause I understand, I mean, that's what you guys, that's the direction that you guys are heading at, at this point in time. Correct. I mean, we're a professional services firm, best known for audit, I would guess, but, mm. uh, but we're a, we're a professional services firm. Mm. So the professional space is where we play. Um, and, uh, and the professional space is where we like to be, to be dominant. Um, the legal field presents a, a, an interesting question mark because as I said earlier, it's not dominated by any big players. Mm. Um, when last I, when last I looked at stats, no, no law firm had 1% of the market share. Mm. So, so it is a very, it is a very diverse profession. It's a profession that uh, more and more business demands be global. Um, and so having that global footprint allows us to, um, to provide that from a global perspective and to, and to start to make inroads into, into really taking, taking hold of a fair percentage of that market share. Mm. So now, I mean, uh, Daniel, tell me, I mean, um, right now, obviously, since you've written the book, yeah. um, one of the things that I've realized by experience, I mean, I was a professional, um, I'm still, in fact, a professional and a businessman, yeah. uh, before an anchor. So one of the things that I've realized, big companies, um, and big corporates don't adapt easily to change. Yeah. Um, and it's some of the things that, um, that has been a challenge. I mean, over the years, do you, uh, do you see more corporates now starting to, to adapt to change? One of the, one of the things we see, we say to, to professional firms is that the competition that kills you often doesn't look like you. Uh, that, uh, okay, you need you got to repeat that again, eh? Well, the the, the competition that kills you doesn't look like you. Uh, uh, okay, and, and it's what we find we found in our work that often in any profession that you looked at, the most exciting uh, change uh, often happened outside the boundaries of traditional professional firms, uh, and it's um, you know whether it's in. Uh, in education, for example, you have an organization like Khan Academy, mm-hmm. online collection of practice problems and instructional videos. It has 10 million unique users a month. So that's sure. More, that's a big number. More unique users than there are students in the entire primary and secondary school population of England. What's interesting about that is that it wasn't, I mean, although there are teachers involved, it wasn't designed by a traditional educational institution. It was designed by very different types of people. Or if you look in medicine, think about the, what the most exciting Work that's been done in diagnostics at the moment. Um, the uh, it's being done often by large technology companies rather than traditional medical institutions. Something like Google. Google have a artificial intelligence team called DeepMind, and some of your uh, listeners might know it because it went on. Uh, it, it, it competed last March with Lee Sedol, who was at the time the world's greatest Go champion, and it beat him. Four games to one, something most people in artificial, <laughs> but most, yeah, most people in artificial intelligence thought we were at least a decade away from doing that. Mm-hmm. And one of the first things that they did was team up with Moorfields Eye Hospital, uh, in, in London to use the system to help diagnose and treat various types of eye problems. We've seen IBM with their system, Watson, using it to help diagnose and treat various types of cancer and, and post-traumatic stress disorder too. So again, this idea, and I think it's and it's a challenge for the traditional professions, which is that, as I said, the competition that kills you doesn't look like you. And a lot of the exciting change is happening in in quite unexpected places. Hmm. Yeah, no. And I mean, speaking of of I mean, uh, the change um, of arti- artificial intelligence in the yeah. medical field. Um, last year, I've had an opportunity of being in California. Oh yes. And and uh, one of the friends that that happened to 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 one of the dignitaries that were hosting me. Yeah. Works in a hospital. He's a doctor. Yeah. And it was uh, shocking. Some of the things that he was telling me is now the technology is doing in terms of um, diagnostic and um, you know analytic of patients um, yeah. using technology. Uh, in that space, I'm sure it must be quite scary for some people, though. 
scary depending upon who you are. I mean, if you're a traditional doctor, then I agree that some of these technologies might be quite threatening. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, you know, many doctors keep it as a, as a principle that the sort of diagnostic work that they do requires a sort of a special touch or a, uh, Kind of je ne sais quoi. Uh, you know, you have to feel, you have to look the patient in the eyes, you <laughs> yeah. have to get a sense. The system could never do this. And yet we see systems increasingly doing that. So I think for traditional doctors, it's, it is quite challenging. But, f- but from the point of view of a patient, I think it's a very exciting change. You know, yeah, most, it is. Most people don't have access to high quality, affordable medical advice. And the promise of a lot of these systems is, is far, far better advice, far better medical insight. I often say that people ask me, how quickly will this happen? And, and, you know, the, the, in the medical setting, for instance, I think the sorts of changes that we write about on our book will really start mm. to accelerate when a patient walks into a doctor's surgery and a doctor takes out their stethoscope and goes to put it on the patient's <laughs> chest. And the patient says, whoa, 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 what are you doing? Mm. You know, I don't, want, I don't want your intuition or your judgment. Uh, I want to use a system instead. They, they do, they outperform you. Sure. I think that those are the sorts of moments when we'll see really significant change. Yeah. I mean, Dean, you started off as a traditional uh, lawyer. I mean, um, aren't you frightened by now technology coming to take over? That maybe, I mean, we will end up having a, you know, artificial intelligence in courts and, you know, in commercial cases being involved perhaps. So it would be a terrible thing for me to sit here and say to your listeners that I am terrified. Like I just told you that it's so. So not. I, I think that I think that it's exciting, and I think it's exciting not just because we can find better ways to provide legal services. I think it's also exciting because it allows not only other skills into legal, but it allows legal into other places. So mm-hmm. you know, to me, it's an exciting space to be in to say that yes, we can provide legal advice and we can mm-hmm. de-risk that space for clients, but at the same time, we can provide business value. When we're analyzing data in contracts under a contract management scenario, when you can actually advise business on things they could do better to become more profitable, things like that are, are exciting more than they are frightening. Mm. So, I mean, um, I want to, I want to touch base on, on, on the survey that you guys have done. Um, so that, um, obviously we, we're able to, uh, to let you go and we, we have much more vibrant, uh, discussions. Um, I mean, with, um, with, um, Danielle. So now, I mean, tell me, uh, the survey that you've done, I mean, it says you guys have, have studied over, I mean, 200 and, um, 200 and something people, uh, CEOs, uh, general counsel, legal experts, and the likes across the globe, whether being CFOs, CEOs, and, and the likes in regards to where the trend is going. I mean, what has some of the findings from, from the survey that you've done? Yeah, so I think I think we've 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 always been interested in um, in 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 writings like those of Daniel and his father, and I think that they are certainly valid. Mm-hmm. Um, for us, it was a question as to is that now? Is it in the short term? Is it in the medium term? Mm-hmm. Uh, so the survey we conducted globally was across uh, C-suite people and uh, general counsels of um, large corporations across the globe um, to get their sense as to how are they feeling about these trends that are identified. Are they seeing it as real and immediate or are they seeing it as something for further down the line? Mm-hmm. Um, and the overwhelming response was certainly that they see it as an issue for now. Um, trends like wanting legal advisors who can give you seamless advice across the globe. Um, the trend that purchasing patents of general counsels are changing, that they're starting to acquire some of their legal advice from people who are not traditional lawyers or not traditional law firms. Mm-hmm. Um, the ever-increasing role of technology and data. Um, so, so these are the sorts of trends that we went to market to test whether they are valid and whether they are real right now. Okay. Um, and they are. 
Um, so for us, uh, certainly vindication that we're on the right path and that we need to continue on it. Um, and that defines to a large degree our, uh, our, our go-to-market strategy. So now, I mean, um, one, one, one of the things that, I mean, um, the survey makes mention of, I mean, it's the market is moving and growing. I mean, I mean, you've touched base as well. Uh, I mean, one of the things it touches base are the major purchases of legal services that are changing. Um, the approach are now people now buying more uh, of legal services in the most innovative way or online. So I think the so I think the the, the legal challenges that uh, companies are facing are also ever changing, um, and so and so it's inevitable that they will look at other things that the the developments that are in the legal space allow that. Certainly, the you know the bigger law firms globally still uh, maintain a you know a very prominent role and uh, and there's a huge amount of respect for what they do. Okay, but ultimately. Um, these days, if you're a subject matter expert in something, mm-hmm. um, regardless of whether you sit in a big firm or whether you sit at home, um, you're valuable. Um, some, uh, s- some, some companies, and we're seeing a lot of it in the legal space at the moment, are providing outsourced legal service. Uh, outsourced legal services, mm-hmm. regardless of whether they're lawyers, there's certain elements of legal work which are repetitive mm-hmm. um, and it can can be dealt with from a machine perspective. Yeah. So there certainly are changing purchasing patterns. There are new entrants into the legal services space, um, and all of that I think is driven by the stuff that Daniel spoken about, and also about the the, the, the ever increasing legal challenges that companies face as as the envi- as the economy becomes more global. Mm-hmm. So now, I mean, um, one of the things that that um, obviously um, in the trends. I was reading um, an article that was saying 40%, uh, I mean, of um, there's a 40% decline in terms of uh, legal students' intake within universities, I mean, since 2004. Um, so now as a growing legal firm, I mean, are you not afraid that you're losing more of uh, these young professionals to more emerging uh, legal firms? Because, um, I mean, they seem all proving to be rather much more innovative uh, or adapting in terms of digitalization of, I mean, the industry. I don't think so. I'm not sure of the statistics, but I, I think that we have um, a good supply of, of legal graduates coming into the market. I think that uh, if uh, if the challenge is there, it's probably more likely to be felt by the by the by the by the bigger, more traditional legal institutions. Okay. Um, you know, from 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 our perspective, uh, we, you know, we we believe we like to attract the 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 legal graduate who is interested in in stitching data and technology and org design and those sorts of adjacent skills into the legal advice that we provide. Mm-hmm. Um, so so for that group of people who 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 that excites them about their career, you know, that that's who we're after, and it's probably not all legal graduates, yeah, but for sure. those who have that mindset, those are the those are the people that we want in our firm. Yeah, so obviously, I'm sure obviously. Having the financial muscle, obviously, to upkeep them, it shouldn't be a problem for them to jump ship, obviously, and come work for for a big company like yours. <laughs> so I like to think that uh, that the, that the attraction is the different way of doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think financial ability aside, I think I think the I think the real advantage that uh, professional services firms have going forward in in many of the professional environments is the wide range or the wide range of professional services that they have in house. Mm-hmm. So it does become more of a question of how do you leverage the various professional skills across the globe rather than rather than how do you go and acquire or to build it? Mm. So now, I mean, in regards to, I mean, I've seen growing up that a lot of legal firms um, or let me say legal firms, uh, companies and the likes, they always love filing. You know, there's always, I don't know if you've seen Daniel, there's always big documentation, big files um, and everything. I mean, um, so so it's something that for me, I've seen like medically uh, in terms of adapting to into the digital space. Um, now there's more electronic filing. 
yeah. um, that is that is taking place. So, yeah. uh, but I mean, obviously, other industries like like legal are more adapting slowly. Yeah. Um, you know, as to as to um more electronic filing. So, I mean, how do you think we could encourage other industries though in terms of uh, adapting to 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 that uh, digitalization? Yeah. Let me just make one observation about the point that you made before about how large professional firms mm-hmm. um, recruit the right type of people. I think, again, just go back again to that point that I made before, that the competition that kills you doesn't look like you. The competition Mm. for talent isn't just between traditional professional firms. It's between professional firms and often large technology companies. Does somebody with computer science skills want to go and uh, work in a large professional firm or do they want to maybe go work in Google? You know, do they – or do they want to work at Facebook? or do The the sets of skills that are useful – in increasingly important in the traditional professions are in demand uh, really a- across the economy. So the, the, the competition for talented people, I think, is, is more intense than mm-hmm. it's ever been. I suppose the, uh, the response to the other, your other observation is really the advice would be, and it's advice that Jack Welsh, one of the great, uh, one of the great business theorists once said, change before you have to. You know, the, if you don't keep up with the sorts of changes that mm-hmm. you're describing, uh, you will be forced to. <laughs> uh, you know, this is, this is the direction of travel. We're seeing technology in various ways become increasingly important in these different industries. And, and either you can make the changes on your own terms or you can be dragged into it. Uh, and and I think that that first strategy is is the more compelling one. Mm. And definitely, I mean, for you, Dean, you've been making the changes. So have you started electronically filing now and reducing the file stack? So we, so we certainly have. So I mean, I think from a, from, from a technology perspective, there, there, there are a number of tools that are in use and I think we'll continue to grow that use. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's more around having a different view on things than it is necessarily around just dropping a piece of technology down. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you take, for example, some of the challenges that are facing, uh, facing companies these days from a legal perspective, and we look at things like, as I said, regulatory compliance, we look at the, the challenges the financial services sector has with anti-money laundering regulation, you look at the new privacy regulation, you look at contract management and optimization, all of these things are things that would have typically generated mountains and mountains of paper. But if we look past the law for a second, look to the fact that these are all primarily related to data, mm-hmm. um, understand the data. Um, use the data multiple times, get efficiencies within that. Um, sorting out the data question is sometimes more important than sorting, sorting out the legal question. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, being unable to sort out the data problem will make it very, very difficult to sort out the legal problem. So I think it is about looking you know, past the very generic legal question mm-hmm. and looking at what is the underlying things we need to get right to get ourselves to de-risk it from a legal perspective. Okay. So now, I mean, um, so it's, it's something that obviously, um, I mean, challenges, um, obviously, um, that are there in terms of implementation, uh, obviously of artificial intelligence. So, I mean, right now more, let, let, let's, maybe let's get more to the global uh, compliance. Um, I mean, doing more with less. Um, obviously, I mean, you've made mention in terms of data. I think it goes back to data, 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 data. And right now, obviously, um, we are on cyber risk as well. It is right now in terms of, I mean, the country or should I say maybe the world. I'm sure obviously you're familiar with the cases where company data, I mean, has been manipulated by hackers. Um, and, and it actually been, um, companies would get hacked and if, uh, information would be stolen and would be released at a fee. Um, so now, I mean, it's something that obviously, um, 
with now traditional companies, they're more like, okay, the more, that's more traditional that we need to remain. Cause you see now with this data thing, it can get hacked, it can get manipulated. And whatsoever, what studies have you guys done, um, in regards to now protecting yourselves, um, in regards to now adapting to the change and, um, helping implement for some of your clients? So I'm certainly not a cybersecurity specialist, and I won't uh, I won't pretend to be one. But I think that um, I think the challenge you raise is an interesting one because it's uh, it's a it's a fe- relatively new phenomenon that we're starting to see around the globe, which is that from both a risk as, as cyber is, mm-hmm. um, and from a regulation perspective, as data privacy laws are, um, we're seeing more and more regulation that has global applicability, mm-hmm. um, and looking at uh, legal risk and compliance uh, and, and managing that risk is uh, is not something one can do any longer from simply the perspective of the one geography you sit in. Okay. Um, being able to deal with these sort of risks is something that has to be dealt with from a global basis. Mm-hmm. These laws have uh, multi-jurisdictional application, um, and that's a, that's a new perspective. Um, so the the, the, the cybersecurity issues, the regulatory issues, the, the, the dealing with your suppliers from a contract management perspective basis, all of these are becoming more and more global all of the time. Um, so, so we will continue to move away from having, a, from having a national view on things and more to a continental and global view on them. Mm. Oh, okay. No, definitely. No, I understand. So now for people that want to go through some of the survey um, that, that you've done for more in detail, where can they find it? Is it accessible? Is it open to the public? And Absolutely, it is. So, uh, so if you were to uh, jump onto Google and to uh, and to go into the Droid Legal Global websites, you will find uh, you'll find all the survey detail there. Mm. Oh, okay, no, definitely. For now, for some of the people that that want to get hold um, of your company in terms of assisting, uh, maybe let me ask this: um, What are some of the legal services that you guys are assisting companies with? So, I think a broad range of services, all across corporate M and A, usual contracting services. Um, through to tax controversy, um, labor, immigration, so so the full tranche of uh, of legal spaces that companies are faced with, mm. and there's a, all the detail around this is as I say on the Deloitte Legal website. Oh, is it? What is the Deloitte Legal website? Uh, Deloitte.com. So if you go in there and search on the legal on the on the legal page, you'll find all the detail. Oh, okay, definitely. So then, are you accommodative of small businesses, or are you only looking for large corporates? No, I think we, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we speak very much about technology and data and the, and the, the trends that are on the cutting edge of, uh, of, of the profession. Doesn't by any stretch of the imagination mean that the things that we've done historically from a professional uh, perspective are gone. We are still providing huge amounts of traditional legal work to traditional clients. Mm-hmm. Doesn't go away. It just means we have to uh, do these things in parallel. So, um, so, so, so much of what we've done historically continues. Oh, okay. No, definitely. So as I let you go, are you on, on, on any social media? Um, via the website would be easiest. Oh, okay. Via the website. Oh, okay. No, definitely. No, thanks a lot, Dean, uh, for your time and for that interesting, interesting conversation, uh, that we have. Looking forward to definitely bring you back in studio next time. Um, when we're taking much more illegal and specific, um, matters, hopefully you'll be able to, to assist us with that. It will be a pleasure. Thank you. No, definitely. Uh, Daniel, coming back to you, I mean, yeah. one of the things that, that um, having been in the States, yeah. um, I realized is that um, even in now your retail uh, supermarket or stores, yeah. um, I mean, I found that by the tills as well, artificial yeah. intelligence is taking over. <laughs> um, in South Africa, I know that it's a big industry, yeah. that people have are employed there to be packers, you know, to be tellers, to be all of these things. Yes. But when you guys now come to the first world countries, you guys have fired everyone. There's computers and artificial intelligence technology there. So let me let me say to your listeners that what we do in the book is 
Uh, it's not a story of mass unemployment. That's not the story. What we're trying to do is tell a story of redeployment, a story of okay. uh, a story of how the sorts of tasks and activities that need to be done in the in the world of work are changing. So, mm-hmm. if you if you have a look, for example, at those systems and machines that are being used in supermarkets, uh, you'll see. Those didn't appear overnight. You know, somebody had to design them. Somebody had to build them. People have to manage and operate them. There's new roles that have to be done. Uh, and I'd encourage people in order to get a sense of this uh, to, to read our book because it isn't – popular commentary on the future of work tends to be that one day people will wake up and find a robot in their chair. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not what's taking place. It's subtler than that. Uh, there's new roles that have to be done. There's new tasks and activities that have to be done as well. Mm. Do you want to give us an example of some of these roles and these tasks that you make mention of? Well, an interesting one that you talked about before was the security mm. expert. You know, the the idea that as more and more of our lives become digitized, as more and more of our uh, activity is is done online or done in a an electronic environment, uh, what happens to that data? How we store it how we manage it how we make use of it mm-hmm. lots of sensitivities around that sure. and we think one of the roles that will become increasingly important and we write about this in in the preface to the new paperback version of our book which has just come out is the the data security guard you know the, it's it's going to be an increasingly important uh, capacity for for uh, for people to be able to to uh, to, to to make use of Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, and that, and that's just one. And, and in, in the book, we identify twelve of these new roles that we think will become more important. Is it? Do you know perhaps some of these roles by head? So things like and things like um, systems engineers, data scientists. Uh, we think there's a role for the empathizer, uh, and we can talk a little <laughs> about that. Uh, yeah. We think there are. Uh, we have a role for paraprofessionals, less expert people using these systems to do things that might have required more expert people mm-hmm. in the past. So there's, I mean, there's lots of different roles. The, the point I make in the professions is that many of these roles are unfamiliar to traditional professionals, and many of them require skills and capabilities that are quite unlike the sorts of things that many traditional professionals are trained to do. Uh, and, and so the challenge to all traditional professionals, whether lawyers or doctors or teachers or accountants, is to ask whether or not you're well prepared to be the person to solve these problems in the past to, do, uh, to in the future to do these new roles uh, and and in many cases it's it's not it's not clear again as i said the competition that kills you doesn't look like you and and a lot of the most exciting change is often happening outside the boundaries of traditional professional organizations i actually love that statement that uh, your your competitor doesn't look like you yeah. and i think for me i think the exciting thing about technology though yeah. um is that um obviously it's 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 one. It's it requires a new mindset thinking. Yes. Uh, and two, I think it gives an opportunity to people that normally wouldn't have an opportunity to compete. Yes. yes. Um, that's why right now you find people that are taking advantage of this. It's yes. actually small businesses. Yeah. Um, that are there, you know, trying to actually get, uh, get, um, you know what, get business out there yeah. and, and take on big businesses. Yes. Uh, like some of these businesses that you see out there. Yes. Um, I mean, I think very much, it's, it's very much exciting. I'll make an example. Yeah. Okay. You wanted to make well, a I, I also wanted to say it's exciting not only for the providers, but also for the recipients, for consumers. Remember. You reckon? Yeah. Well, remember in the professions, right? Yeah. The traditional professions are creaking. Mm-hmm. There are not enough people. And, and South Africa, uh, I'm sure feels this just as much as Britain or the US feels it, that not enough people have access to affordable health care, good, good education. That is not so enough true. people know about their legal entitlements. Not enough people know how to manage their financial affairs. Mm-hmm. And to the extent that these new technologies offer us 
new ways to solve these problems, uh, then although they might be threatening for traditional providers, mm-hmm. traditional lawyers and doctors and teachers and accountants, from the point of view of recipients, I think they're very exciting. <laughs> and it's often, it's often the case, and um, we slip into it uh, all too regularly when we talk about technology, is that we ask, what does it mean for work? What does it mean for providers? When actually a lot of the optimism and a lot, I think, of the excitement comes from what it means for consumers. Mm. Uh, and when... Uh, and when I talk to governments and uh, policymakers about this, that's the point I really want to impress, which is that we have to not let anxieties about this, what might, what this might mean for work, overwhelm the optimism and the excitement that sh- we should have about what this means for the people who would traditionally be on the other end of that work. I mean, I mean, you've you've made mention of consumers, but yeah. some of these consumers, I don't know whether it's from a pr- Africa perspective, yes, uh, or or whatever. But right now, in, in terms of the consumers as well, there's a big myth yes. um, around artificial intelligence, yes, um, and especially when it comes to the workplace. Yes. So now, obviously, I know whether in Africa. As a whole, I think worldwide, we don't adapt easily to change. Yes. It's even worse in Africa. I mean, that's why right now you're fine. I mean, South Africa, I think, um, they've slowly been, been adapting. I'll make an example. We know of old traditional radio. Yes. And, and right now, being us, being Cliff Central, I mean, we're one of the first platforms to yes. actually come and be a digital platform. And, and a lot of people, you know, there was a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear to say, no, uh, you guys are making a bad mistake. I mean, in terms of going digital, this and yeah. this and that. And guess what? Now, even all traditional radio are starting to, to join in. Yes. You know, and, and they're now starting to actually adapt. But now you find a way that when you go to the rural places, to the villages, to the township, mm. uh, with some of the people or the consumers on the ground, uh, these people, they all have cell phones. Yes. Um, but now we're sitting with a price of data. Um, you know, um, that is expensive for them yeah. to actually connect to the internet, yeah. uh, for them to actually be exposed, um, to some of these technologies. I mean, in the first world countries, uh, the UK or London, like, yeah. like where you come from, um, how long did it take for the change to actually take place? Changes, I think you, the, the point you're making is absolutely right, which is that the pace of change differs across professions, mm-hmm. it differs across countries it differs across parts of countries and it differs across different groups of people in different countries the point i would want to emphasize is that what we're trying to do in our book is set out a direction of travel we're trying to suggest the way the direction in which we're heading Uh, Mm -hmm. we deliberately avoid making the sorts of predictions that you want me to do which is to say you know how long will this stuff take because the speed of change isn't in our hands it Mm -hmm. it depends upon so many different things depends upon the appetite for consumers Mm -hmm. consumers how angry are consumers that they don't have access to the data that it's too expensive it depends upon the government you know how uh, how receptive they are Mm -hmm. the regulators how supportive they are it depends upon providers how how willing in your case, radio stations are to change the way that they work. Mm. So there's a whole set of complicated factors that affect the pace of change. Uh, but the direction of travel is clear, which is that technology is becoming an increasingly important part of our lives. Mm. In some cases, in the professions, not just making the lives of doctors and teachers and nurses easier, but actively starting to take on some of the tasks and activities that we've traditionally associated with them. Mm. Now, in terms of the, the, the myth and fear of jobs um, in, the, in the workplace, yes. um, I know that, I mean, I know a lot of people that, that are very, uh, 
yeah. um, fearing, I mean, technology taking over their jobs. They yeah. think they're going to be out of jobs. Yeah. And I mean, as well, we've had testimonies of people that say, I was working here and they bought this machine and now I'm out of a job. Yes. So I, the worry, I think, in the medium term isn't one of mass unemployment. It shouldn't be. The problem is one of redeployment, mass redeployment. It's how we give people – it's not that there's not enough work to be done in the economy, in most economies, although mm-hmm. some economies it might be different. But in general, it's not that there's not enough work to be done. It's that very often people don't have the skills and capabilities to take up that new work and to move across – I like that, uh, yeah. Move, move through the economy. And, and that's – it's no less serious a challenge in the sense that if people don't have the skills and capabilities, then – they'll struggle to find work. So it's still in the end a problem of, you know, you might worry that it has consequences for work, but the nature of the challenge is very different. As I said, it's not that there's not enough work to be done. It's that there's work out there. It's just that people who are displaced or, or, or find parts of their work eroded by technology mm-hmm. might struggle to learn the new skills and capabilities that are required. So it's in a way it's a training challenge and, some people might be comforted by that given that people have had to adapt and retrain in the past. But I think some of the skills gaps are really quite large, uh, larger than they have been before. And, and, and that's why I think the challenge isn't one to, to brush aside, uh, as a, as an easily resolvable one. I think it's going to be a real challenge. Mm. So now, now yeah. coming to small business. Yes. Um, obviously it's costly to, to implement artificial intelligence. Yes. Uh, within the small business. And right now, um, do you think, Small businesses are taking advantage of. You're right. It is difficult. On the one hand, small businesses can be more nimble-footed, mm-hmm. more light of light of foot than than larger companies. But on the other hand, they often lack the resources to be able to do the research and development that larger companies might be able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose the the strategy is. Uh, is to try, I imagine, to cooperate with other small businesses, to form networks and share resources and, and work together on this. Because, mm. as I said, I think this is the direction of travel is clear, which is that these technologies are becoming increasingly important. Mm-hmm. And and I think that is it, it does pose a threat to small businesses, to medium-sized businesses, and, and I think it's one they need to take seriously. Mm. So, but now, I mean, what, yeah. what what do you think governments can do, though, in terms of assisting small business, um, conquer this yeah. uh, giant uh, David and Goliath yeah. <laughs> uh, approach? I mean, governments have governments have. I, I think a lot of these changes challenge governments in a huge variety of areas. Mm-hmm. Partly, there's the training conversation that we had before. Partly, there's the regulatory story about mm-hmm. how to create an environment that's supportive. Uh, partly, it's about. Um, not I mean, one of the worries that I have is that um, is that the the sorts of changes that we're describing often favour large companies. Lots of data, that's lots true. Of processing that power, is so true. Talented people, mm-hmm. and and you know, in our in our book, one way of thinking about what we're arguing in the future of the professions is is it's a story of the decline of traditional professional firms, mm-hmm. traditional accountants and teachers and lawyers and doctors and accountants the decline of an old set of gatekeepers, but we might worry that there's a new set of gatekeepers, new organizations, not perhaps looking a lot like traditional professional firms, but certainly large and, uh, and, and, uh, and dominant in, in, in other ways. We might worry, as I said, about new gatekeepers. So mm-hmm. I think there is a role for the government in trying to, trying to push back against that, uh, that, that direction of travel towards 
uh, towards larger companies. Yeah, uh, we're actually going towards the end. Yes. Uh, but now I want to touch. What are, what are some of the benefits and risk of artificial intelligence, though? Yeah. Well, I, again, just I want to come back to this point, at least in the professions, when we think about doctors and lawyers and teachers and accountants, is that most traditional professions are creaking. You know, not enough people have affordable access to expertise mm. that's locked in the heads of doctors and lawyers and teachers. That's and so true. And the promise of artificial intelligence and technologies associated with it is, in a sense, a liberation of that expertise, mm. making it more affordable and more accessible to those who need it. That's the promise. But there are lots of challenges, challenges around how we retrain people to have the skills and capabilities they need, mm -hmm. how we avoid, as you said, the shift towards uh, large companies, um, how we uh, how we how we really support that 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 promise of of, of uh, as I said, a liberation of expertise. So I think there are I, th I think there are I think the, the challenges are clear and in a sense they're quite well rehearsed in popular commentary on 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 these technologies i suppose what i'd want to do is emphasize the reasons for optimism which is that these technologies offer us the possibility of making lots of types of expertise more affordable and more accessible than they've been in the past mm. so now i mean um quickly yes. uh, the issue of of um cyber safety yes because um, I know that right now it's it's a world phenomenon. Yes. Um, where obviously the um, hackers are on the rise. Yes. Um, you know, um, technology crimes are on the yeah. rise, and 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 now I mean, what how? So now I mean, with this, I am adapting to artificial intelligence or technology. Yeah. Uh, within the workplace or within the professional, um, space, um, as per se, um, I mean, how do you think? I mean, it could actually be kept. I don't. I don't know whether you cover that in your book. So we do, as I said, the the paperback version of our book is now out. Oh, okay. Uh, so the, the, the future of the professions, I'd, I'd encourage people who are interested in this to, to take a look. In the preface of that paperback edition, we have a discussion on exactly this, mm. which is that, I mean, in the hardback version, in the original version, we said we're not actually going to look at these issues. Mm -hmm. um, we recognize they're important. We recognize they're significant, but... There's other things that we want to focus on. It's clear in the past 18 to 24 months that they've become more important. And so, as I said, in, in the paperback version, in, in the new preface, we, we look at them explicitly. And, and one of the conclusions that we draw is that one of the new roles mm -hmm. that will be important is precisely this. It's the data security guard. Mm -hmm. It's the person who can, uh, who's able to, uh, handle some of the challenges and problems that you've just identified. Hmm. No, definitely. Uh, you've made mention that people yes. must uh, read through and go through the book. Yes. So now, where can people get the book? Uh, they can get it in all good uh, bookstores. Okay. Uh, but if they can't find it in the bookstore, they'll be able to find it online. Um, and it, it should be available on, on most online bookstores. Okay. What's the name of the book? It's called The Future of the Professions. The Future uh, of the Professions. Of the Professions, yes. How Technology will transform the work of human experts. Oh, okay. Great. No, definitely. No, I think, I think it's, it's exciting. I'm looking forward to, to actually going through, um, the book myself, uh, to actually read some of the, uh, the findings that, that you've actually, um, found and made mention of. Um, and I saw as well on YouTube, uh, there's a video that, uh, you're actually discussing, um, you know, um, that some of the, <laughs> some of, um, I mean, um, that's the, right. The, the the insight that that you've shared um, within the book. I think there was at a university from the thing. There, there are there's quite a few talks on there. So if people uh, are, have their appetite whetted by the book and want to hear more, mm -hmm. uh, there's a variety of talks from both myself and my co-author 
uh, some which go into more detail on particular particular issues. Is it? No, 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 definitely. Terrific. Um, so now, I mean, um, so maybe obviously, I know people that are listening are dying for me to to hear your opinion and how you're finding South Africa since you've been here yes. for 24 hours. Yeah, wonderful. I have only been here for 24 hours. I'm amazed at how uh, what you call cold weather here is pretty temperate for us in the UK. So yeah. it suggests if I... And you understand it is our winter, right? No, I know. But uh, calling this winter is... is uh, We would call this summer. Oh, okay. No, <laughs> yeah. definitely. But no, but it's lovely. It's a beautiful country. I wish I could stay for longer. Yeah. Hopefully you'll come back and we take you to Soweto. We get him to eat God, all right? Yeah, <laughs> sounds, sounds wonderful. Yeah, no, no, definitely. Are you on social media? I am. Yes, you can follow me on Twitter, mm-hmm. which is just at Daniel Suskind. So, and that's Daniel spelled the traditional way, mm. and then Suskind is S U S K I N D. And if your listeners have thoughts, please do share them, and I'd be happy to to chat a little more. Oh, okay, definitely. We usually wrap and close off the show in style. Great. Thirty seconds word of inspiration to somebody that is listening. From myself. Yes. Well, I think one of the consequences of the sorts of technological changes that are taking place is that people can feel quite pessimistic, can feel quite uncertain and quite anxious. And and I suppose I'd encourage them uh, not, not to feel that way. Uh, for those who worry about their work, I'd say again that there's going to be plenty of work to be done for some time, but the skills and capabilities required to do it will be quite different. So mm. I think... My advice would be be agnostic and open-minded. And I think it's, I think it's a time of tremendous excitement. I think there's lots of interesting work out there. And from the point of view of consumers, again, I think that's another reason for optimism. I think the traditional professions, traditional doctors and lawyers and teachers and accountants, their expertise isn't affordable or accessible to many people. So again, I think the promise of these technologies in, in making access to that expertise more affordable, more accessible is is uh, is another reason for excitement and optimism. So I saw I I my advice would be to embrace the change rather than reject it. Mm. Embrace the change rather than reject it. Uh, thank you for Daniel for for coming through to the thank show you for me. and to to South Africa. Looking forward to having further engagement with you even when I come to the, uh, to London. You are brilliant. We thank really appreciate much. it. Pleasure to talk with you. Uh, definitely. If ever you've just joined, in, you can always go to www.cliffcentral.com to catch the podcast. And um, you, there's a lot of many exciting shows um, that that we definitely have. Uh, catch us again next time for another exciting installment of Three Sixty Biz. My name is Deborah Homer Fordy. I'm out. This is CliffCentral.com.